Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today we're going to talk about five things the seeker movement got right. The seeker-sensitive, seeker-targeted, whatever you want to call it. Uh, What are some good fruit that come from this movement? Um, Just to speak for myself in particular, um, there's often a lot of criticism of what has now become sort of the attractional church movement, uh, the seeker-sensitive movement. And in fact, uh, a few months ago on this very podcast, um, I spoke about um, wrong ways to do seeker-sensitivity. And so I thought it would be good to at least focus on some of the positive developments or good contributions um, to evangelicalism that have come out of the seeker movement. Um, these are more like five right ideas or five right tracks that the church growth movement started down before it veered hard into that fuller-blown consumerism and became what um, I now refer to as the attractional church. Um, I know in hearing this that for some of you who resonate with the critiques, uh, there will be quite a few moments where you will say, yes, but... And that reflex is there for all of us. Um, But I think for um, most of us, um, we can anticipate those yes buts in the explanations. Um, But for the most part, let's focus on some good gifts the seeker church of yesteryear has given contemporary evangelicalism. So without further ado, uh, number one, an emphasis on every member ministry, an emphasis on every member ministry ministry. Of course, in its grossest manifestation, the approach to member assimilation simply equates membership with volunteerism, right? Uh, We're just trying to plug volunteers into our programming. But in the very beginning of what became the Seeker movement, the concern about active membership was a really good one. The Seeker Church was seeking to recover from the kind of country club type membership of its parents' and grandparents' church, where all you had to do was walk an aisle, sign a card, and commit to give money. The original focus of the Seeker Church, as it pertains to membership, was to hold members accountable for ministry in the church. So uh, this is where a lot of those spiritual gift assessments came into play, and many churches would add spiritual gift assessments to their membership process. And I think that was a positive step in the right direction. They may not have um, expressed it or implemented it perfectly in every instance, but the impulse or or the desire there is a good one. The emphasis of making sure people placed in offices of leadership in the church were actually gifted for those offices uh, was a great recovery of a long-neglected biblical teaching, right? So before this evaluation of the church's assimilation of its members to service, churches would just plug willing volunteers into open slots, Um, There's sort of an expedience to that, of course, that um, can often um, unwittingly create a kind of damage. But um, the seeker church, rather than make an ear out of an eye with ear aspirations, the seeker church movement at least brought with it a refocus on Paul's teaching on the spiritual gifts in service of the church. It's it's odd and counterintuitive now or um, ironic, I guess you could say, that the attractional movement is so predicated today on consumerism when back in the day what we were trying to do is to get at least the the Christians, the mature members or those who are pursuing membership in the church, 
to participate, to not just show up and sit there, but to to volunteer and serve in the church. So that emphasis on every member contributing to the ministry of the church was a good one, and I think one of the things that the Seeker Church movement got right. Secondly, an emphasis on community, particularly through Uh, relational groupings, what we might call small groups or community groups and that sort of thing. And of course, yes, you know, one of the yes buts you may have is that a lot of the way churches do small groups today is a boondoggle (laughs) waiting to be more widely exposed. Uh, But let's give some credit where credit is due. The death of community was not the secret church's fault before it was the whole church's fault. And whatever problems we may rightly see in the one-size-fits-all artificial small groups as community programs, the notion that community is what church life is all about, that people must connect relationally and, quote-unquote, do life together, right? I know that's a cliche now, but the idea of doing life together, um, those are something that the um, uh, you know, secret church movement really emphasized and, and, and sought to implement in their churches. It, it wasn't the emerging or the missional movement that created that idea. Um, it was the church growth movement, borrowing from the house churches, parachurches, and even the 70s Jesus movement that recovered, not invented, but recovered the notion of relational community over against the traditional church's persistent substitute of cliques and classes and programs and that sort of thing. Um, so it was a good, it was a good emphasis on community groups and uh, relational groupings. Uh, Thirdly, the Seeker Church um, gave us really sort of an incarnational rethinking of evangelism, at least in the beginning, right? An incarnational rethinking of evangelism. The attractional church that has emerged from the Seeker Church movement has largely bailed on the gospel, we might would say. But um, in its beginning, it had the good idea that biblical evangelism was less about revivalistic, repeat-this-prayer ticket-punching and more about living lives of witness to Jesus, right? So uh, what we you know, may characterize today as relational evangelism, which uh, if you're not sharing the gospel, it's not evangelism of any kind, but in, in the right way of thinking, relational evangelism. So by dispensing with the weekly altar call guilt trip, And by attempting to train its congregants in relational evangelism, uh, secret churches evidenced an admirable trust in the Holy Spirit for conversion and a proper expectation of their members to carry the message of Jesus beyond the church walls into their daily encounters with the lost. Now, somehow, of course, the consumeristic impulse proved too strong, and the attractional movement today has largely inverted this beyond the secret service and effectively suggested to its attendees to trust the worship experience for the evangelistic heavy lifting. But in its pioneering days, the Seeker Church had a practically proto-missional approach to Christians' neighborhood and work life, that the way the lost were won is by Christians living lives of witness in their everyday life. And I think the, uh, the early days of the early years of the Seeker Church movement had a good emphasis on that. Okay, let's take a break right now and hear from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Ministry degree program is your next step in training for local ministry. The Doctor of Ministry program at Midwestern Seminary is designed to equip and train leaders with a commitment to the local church. With multiple emphases available, including counseling, church revitalization, expository preaching, leadership, and missions, among others, 
Your program provides the equipping you need in practical theology for direct church work and ministry leadership. And because all of our doctoral programs are modular, you don't have to leave your current ministry to pursue your degree. For more information, visit mbts.edu today. That's mbts.edu. Okay, we're back. We're talking about five things the Seeker Church movement got right, uh, good right tracks that were begun by the Seeker movement. Uh, The first was an emphasis on every member ministry. Uh, The second was an emphasis on community through relational groupings. Uh, The third was on incarnational rethinking of evangelism. And now we're going to move on. Number four, a recovery of the value of the arts, a recovery of the value of the arts. Um, This is not precisely an ecclesiological development, and, of course, the emphasis on the arts has clearly exploded in many cases into uh, full-on entertainment-driven Sunday morning church performances and um, many times a secular marketplace uh, copying, mimicking in the Christian entertainment market. But coming with the development of the church growth movement was the recovery of the value of artistry within the church and by the church as more than just uh, useful for propaganda, right? So we can obviously debate the quality of the art being produced in the Christian market these days. And um, in many cases, it clearly pales next to the art created by Christians in previous ages. But the value itself of creativity, the interest in aesthetics, and the appreciation of artistry as not being worldly or unseemly is a huge improvement over against the culturally combative fundamentalism of the traditionalist church. So again, you, you can go with your yes but and think of all the ways we do this wrong and the ways it's been misused, the way that it has in many ways obscured the gospel. But the idea that Christianity is a worldview and affects all of life and therefore that um, you know our artistic expression can bring glory to Christ, uh, those are things that were sort of rejuvenated. That idea was reinvigorated through the Seeker Church movement. Number five, finally and fifthly, an insistence that faith is for all of life. An insistence that faith is for all of life. Um, Again, the execution has been terrible, uh, especially as the dominant teaching mode focusing on moralistic and therapeutic how-tos has basically produced a largely nominal Christianity that is culturally conditioned and practically indistinguishable from the world. But the motive at the beginning was pretty sincere. Uh, The early emphasis by the church growth movement was that Christianity applied to all of life, not just to one hour a week within the church walls. And so the emphasis on what we used to call life application teaching was itself a response to a real problem, namely that non-Christians were not seeing the beauty of faith lived out because Christians weren't living out that beauty. You know, the problem in execution is that the seeker-slash-attractional church thought the solution to the problem was more law, not more gospel. But their, um, you know, original notion, the original notion toward application actually came from a desire, a good desire, for our faith to direct and inform and affect our families, our schools, our workplaces. How do we represent Jesus well outside the church walls? The Seeker Church wasn't wrong to seek to troubleshoot that problem. And I think more of us, um, even if we apply it differently, should follow that cue. What does it look like to be a Christian in every sphere of life? That's something, that was a question 
that the Seeker Church movement asked. We may not like or affirm their answer, at least today, uh, but the question is good, and they were uh, a movement, a uh, group of churches that raised that question seriously and sought to address it seriously in a time when there really was a dearth of, uh, of insisting that the Christian faith is for all of life. Well, that's what I got. Five things the Seeker Church movement got right. Maybe you agree, disagree. Feel free um, to uh, tweet us <laughs> at For the Church. Um, send an email, what have you. Let us know how we're doing. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, we're always grateful um, for your listenership. As always, if you like it, please share it with your friends. Review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.